Hello and welcome to the latest Lancet podcast. I'm Richard Lane and it's Friday, September the 25th. In this week's podcast, we are celebrating a landmark 10,000 issues of The Lancet. The current issue of The Lancet dated September the 26th to October the 2nd is the 10,000th issue. And I'm very happy to be sitting here with the editor of The Lancet, Dr. Richard Horton, to have a bit of a whimsical look back and a bit of a look forward as well. So, Richard, welcome. First thing to say is it's been a bit of a year for milestones and celebrations because 10,000 issues of The Lancet, you've recently passed your 20 years as editor and your quarter century as an employee, as an editor at The Lancet. Where should we start? Well, hi, Richard. And um, yeah, I can remember your first day. I can remember <laughs> when we first met. Way back, actually. And this is really kind of funny to remember when we were in Bedford Square. And that was a beautiful old house, Georgian house, in a, in a fabulous square in London with Thomas Wackley's blue plaque on the building opposite it. It seems like not just another era, but it seems centuries ago. I mean, those days, certainly when I started, we didn't have computers. All the editing was done by pencil. It was Dickensian in the most extreme. And somehow the whole thing worked. I mean, I can remember we used to take scissors and copy decks glue, and we used to cut up proofs and stick them on paper and then we used to fax them through to a printer's and we used to have a courier on a motorbike who would come twice a day to take things down to the printer's. I mean, you couldn't believe that this thing actually came out every week and it did that for 170-odd years. And now look at us. It's kind of sobering, really, when you think that 10,000 issues equates to nearly 200 years. And whilst a lot's happened in our lifetime at The Lancet, we still only represent a fraction of the life history of The Lancet, which is amazing. And listeners, do look at the content in the September the 26th issue. That We do have references to the 10,000th issue. And there's quite a nice visual infographic timeline which mentions a couple of highlights. Any highlights for you, Richard? When I go back over the last 20, 25 years, there are definitely some highlights. I can remember one study in particular that was extremely important in cementing, and of course this is rather con controversial now, the issue of statins in healthcare, the heart protection study that came from the clinical trial service unit in Oxford, Rory Collins and mm. Richard Peter. I mean, that was a a hugely important paper demonstrating the centrality of statins in reducing risk of patients with um, heart disease. I think then you could fast forward a little bit, and I don't think it's any secret that The Lancet's taken a, a fairly internationalist perspective in its research. And the collaboration that we've had with the Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation in Seattle, Washington, and the Global Burden of Disease has obviously become also a very important part of our, of our research if you like, landscape, ecosystem. What we've tried to do over the years is, is balance lots of different forces. We want to be a, a clinical journal that publishes the best clinical trials and clinical epidemiology, but at the same time try and promote global exchange of ideas, promote a kind of global conversation about medicine and medical science. And I think probably the research over the last 20 years has tried to, tried to reflect those two objectives and in a way came to a head a confluence in the paper we published just a few weeks ago now of the new Ebola vaccine. A randomized trial actually took place in Guinea which is an incredible achievement led by WHO but a study of global um, interest and I think uh, hopefully importance. Yeah it's been a it's been a journey that has brought us to a very critical year for us 10,000 issues yes but also a critical year for the world as it thinks about the next generation. 
I think it's worth mentioning, particularly with something like the Ebola vaccine paper, the biggest change in recent years working in publishing, working in medical publishing, is the ability to be rapid, rapid with review, rapid with publication. And with Ebola, it was such a fast-moving fast story. The challenge for a publisher is to be able to keep up with it, isn't it? And I think, dare I say, we and, and, and other journals too out there, I think through modern publishing, through internet, through the, the tools we have available now, we're able to cover the story of diseases in a way that we just couldn't do before. I think that's right. Uh, the global reach is incredible in ways that you could not have even envisaged 25 years ago. But the speed thing is a, is, is a double-edged sword. I mean, we were actually, I think, the first general medical journal to introduce fast-track peer review. And I remember we did that when we were back in Bedford Square, so that must be that must be 15, 20 years ago now. And it was fantastic. You know, you really could speed up the peer review process and get things published from receipt to publication in four weeks. But now the expectation is, is almost ridiculous. I don't want to give any other journal names away, but let me put it this way. That Ebola vaccine paper didn't just come to the Lancet. They Novo. There were other journals involved in, in, in an interest in that paper. One journal that was involved said that it could take the paper from receipt to publication not in four weeks but in four days. Now to make that kind of promise to an author that you can take a complex study and publish it in four days, it's brave. I think that's the best you can say <laughs> about it. Um, and that paper in particular, it was a critical paper. It needed very careful peer review and the authors won't mind me saying that, you know, the paper, because of its importance, because of the sensitivity of the issue, it went through some pretty heavy-duty review. It had to be revised quite substantially. There was a lot of debate about the analysis and the interpretation, as there should be. Now, we did actually publish it incredibly quickly, definitely, as I recall, within three to four weeks of submission, but not four days. And I think if journals go around promising four days for complicated papers, sure, you might win some papers off each other, but actually, I'm not sure you're doing science a great favour. One thing we're also doing a lot of in the past decade particularly, and we'll be doing more of, is this whole advocacy piece, fitting together the top science and the randomised trials and all the things you've mentioned, but also the advocacy. We're commissioning and publishing commissions, series. There's a lot more global health... Um, networking at a political level and obviously we're just about to see the uh, signing off of the sustainable development goals so we're going into the, the 2030 era now so it's actually an interesting time to look forward as well are you excited about that and, and would Thomas Wackley have, have been pursuing these things do you think <laughs> I think he would I mean Thomas Wackley was a political figure of his time he was a member of parliament he founded coroner's courts he was I mean, he was absolutely a fixture of the political life of, um, of England, as well as being editor of The Lancet. Now, I don't think any of us here at The Lancet, any editor here, has any pretensions that they want to go into daytime active politics. At least, I certainly hope so. <laughs> but medicine and science is political. Now, I mean, you can get into dangerous ground there. If I look back over the last year, the letter we published about the war in Gaza certainly provoked the most cataclysmic exchange of letters. You can't escape politics but I think it's the way you do it that's important and I'm not saying we get this right every single time but the place you should start at is what does the evidence show you and that evidence I'm not talking necessarily about results from medical research I'm talking about basic information what are the facts on the ground what do you see and that evidence observed by health professionals reported diligently and accurately with appropriate caveats where there are uncertainties but that then becomes the foundation for 
as you say, advocacy. And I think that's the way around we, we have to work, and we try and do our best to do that. A friend of mine who works at a, at a charity in the UK said to me recently, said, you know, Richard, when, we, when we've got something to campaign on, what we first of all do is we write the tweet. And once we've written the tweet... Then we write the press release. And once we've written the press release, then we go out and figure out what the evidence is we have to get together to support the tweet and support the press release. And I totally understand why he and his charity does that, and they do a very good and effective job. From our point of view, I think if we did that, we wouldn't last very long, and I hope we don't do that. We try and start the other way around. I think that's the, that's the key in the sense, comparative advantage of a scientific or medical journal, that it's a partnership with the scientific community and using that partnership with the scientific community to try and draw out the best experience and evidence to provide that framework for campaigning, advocacy, or whatever the right word is to use. So, yeah, we're going to continue doing that. And, um, you know, the forces of the world are becoming more global, more statistically complex, more political. There's more public engagement. And so we're going to try and navigate our way through those forces. And um, Richard, it's, what, 18 years since you and I came to the journal to speak to work together. And maybe in another 18 years, we'll see where we, <laughs> see. Where we are then. Goodness me, what a thought. Got to just close on one thing. And that is, I know you personally love technology. You love your iPad and your iPhone. <laughs> and you're, you're, you're absolutely prolific on Twitter and everything else that you do. The Lancet is still... Print still mm. exists in print. How long do you think it'll still be in print for? Oh, forever. Forever. You know, I, I do love all the electronic devices. They're great fun. But print, oh, you know, if, if it wasn't, if we didn't have it, somebody would have to invent it. I cannot even conceive of a moment where we would stop publishing in, um, in print in some way. Even if it's just one copy for the National Library of Medicine archive, we'll still do it in, in print. Richard, it's been lovely talking to you. Uh, thanks very much. Thanks so much, Richard.